welcome to this podcast series from CityWire in association with Columbia Threadneedle Investments. My name is Amy Maxwell, I'm the Managing Editor of CityWire Engage, and I'll be your host for this series on Responsible Investing. For this third episode, I'll be joined by Simon Bond, Columbia Threadneedle's Director for Responsible Investment, Portfolio Management and James Clark, Senior Fund Analyst at Hawksmoor Investment Management, to discuss the development of the social bond market. Of course, we're speaking mere months ahead of the UK's hosting of the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26. So what better time to delve deeper into the work going on behind the scenes to engage with companies to improve their social standing and the role bondholders can play in expediating this progress. In this episode, we'll also be looking at the key differences between impact and sustainability, understanding how to align investment to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, as well as disavowing long-held perceptions around the influence fixed-income investors can have on social outcomes. So welcome, Simon and James. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. I'm going to begin with... Um, a very broad question, which Simon, I'm going to direct to you. How would you describe the difference between ESG and impact? Yes, we like to use something um, that PGGM, the big Dutch pension fund, um, used, which is to talk about ESG in terms of doing the thing right. How do management actually perform at the business of running whatever they're doing? Whereas actually, when we talk about impact, it's doing the right thing the effect of a business on wider communities, wider society, wider economies. So if you think about doing the thing right and doing the right thing, they are actually different. So within the control of management is ESG, whereas actually the externalities of that business um, is very much more to do with impact. Simon, you've been running the Fred Needles UK Social Bond Fund since its launch in 2013. And you've also got 25 years experience in the social and ethical investment and impact universe. So how have you seen this change over over those decades? Yeah, uh, well, I've been in the industry 35 years, 30 years specialising in corporate bonds, 25 years, as you rightly say, as a fund manager. And actually, if you go back all of that time, we would actually say that we were analysing these concepts at the time. Um, What's been a lot more clear now is the definitional terms and the focus on ESG, and indeed, I would advocate on impact. Um, And clearly through a financial crisis, you look at the financials. Through a social crisis, you start looking at the social aspects. And now, of course, if we get to 2050, net zero, et cetera, et cetera, COP26, we're now focusing on the environment as well. So actually, these elements are just being drawn out in a lot more focused way. But I think if you went back 25, 30 years even, we would encompass these concepts in terms of the materiality on companies. But I think they're they're really coming to the fore. They're big risks at the moment. And James, would you agree um, that there's a perception that it's traditionally been harder to integrate sort of ESG factors within fixed income than it has been equity? And if so, could you explain why, do you think? A very good question, Amy. Um, I'm not sure I do agree, to be honest. Um, it's probably a bit more, probably a bit more visible within equities, maybe a little bit more tangible within equities. Um, but no, I'm not sure it necessarily is harder to integrate ESG factors within fixed income. 
Um, if you know if the information's provided uh, neatly and and responsibly, I guess by the by the company, whether it's issuing debt or or equity, then there needn't necessarily be a reason why it's harder to integrate um, ESG factors within within fixed income. So, not sure. Okay, and so if it's not harder, what would explain then the lag in the development of the market? I'm very glad that James said that because I absolutely agree. Um, in fact, I would advocate in terms of impact, um, it's actually easier to achieve through fixed income. Um, the perception is that fixed income, because we're stakeholders, doesn't have the influence that perhaps an owner of a business would have. But I've got lots of examples whereby we do have influence through the engagement that we have and therefore we are creating impact through that influence but equally with the bond market what you're doing is you're 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 talking about following the money through to the use of proceeds and it's a much more targeted approach so you can actually specifically restrict management's ability to spend the money that you give them to certain projects environmental projects social projects or indeed both so actually it's a much more targeted approach Equally with fixed income, a much wider spectrum of opportunities. Because within fixed income, you have entities that simply don't have common equity. Charities, not-for-profit organisations, housing associations, those kinds of elements. And particularly the more government-related, the supranationals, the agencies, the sub-sovereigns, etc., which again, don't have equity. All these are issuing bonds, and actually they're issuing quite specific bonds, like green bonds, uh, that are really targeting these particular concepts. And what developments are you seeing in terms of the bond market changing with respect to sustainability? Yeah, there's been a lot of, if you like, the technology behind the bond markets have changed. So when we launched the fund in December 2013, that preceded the Green Bond Principles. Uh, International Capital Markets Association brought out the Green Bond Principles in 2014. Um, and so there, particularly, is a bond that is directing the use of proceeds towards certain predefined environmental projects. That's all a green bond is. It's actually just a normal corporate bond with the covenant that you have to spend the money that we give you in certain predefined projects. Following that, 2017, we had the social bond principles and indeed the sustainability bond guidelines. That's the same concept, but with social projects. Uh, and more recently, we've seen things like transition bonds, blue bonds, which are no more than green bonds, but directed towards the oceans, etc. Uh, and indeed, more recently, sustainability-linked bonds. The technology of the market is developing quite quickly. Um, and there is, if you like, a proliferation of the type of um, categories of bonds. But you have to look, at, look back to the fact that they are just corporate bonds. So actually, it, it's different. It's more, more targeted. It's more specialised. But actually, in terms of a risk and reward, it has the concepts of a, of a normal bond. And James, we mentioned they're green bonds, blue bonds, sustainability bonds. From an investor perspective, is this hard to get a handle of in terms of um, actually deciding where to allocate capital to? I think the main thing for me, Amy, is in in fund research work, in, in meetings and calls with, with managers such as Simon, um, this is a great topic to explore and to, under, to to make sure that we really understand and know much more about, because it, it's that it's that level of detail that you know that your chosen fund manager is engaging in. They obviously know what they're talking about. They're heavily involved in the initiatives, and that's that's meat and drink for us. We want to know we want to know that detail. We want to learn more about it and make sure that our own people and ultimately 
perhaps advisors and, and clients can can get to know get to know about that as well. So I think it's all really interesting detail. Um, and in this particular case, as, as Simon's alluded to, you know, the market's evolving over time. And um, and and that's great. And as I say, you know, we want to make sure that we that we get through that detail and, and that we understand it because it's all good stuff. Do you have to think about duration differently um, when managing? Because many of these risks are quite long term risks, aren't they? As in as with sort of climate change, you're looking at risks that won't bite you in the next three to five years, but really companies could be obsolete in, in, in a decade. So um, how does that kind of long-term nature of the risk impact the way in which you, you manage the money? Well, well indeed. Um, one of the things we didn't want to lose when we shortened the duration target for the fund was the ability to buy naturally longer duration bonds housing associations, universities, those sorts of things that are doing good for society. We didn't want to lose that. And so actually, in delivering that duration, we're encompassing all of the maturity spectrum that we were originally using before we changed the index. So what we do is we shorten the duration using derivatives and those kinds of things um, so that we can actually turn a long-duration 30-year asset into something that is much shorter duration using those particular things. So what we're looking at is still delivering, if you like, on the, the social returns, the social alpha, as we call it, right the way across the spectrum, but actually the financial risk that's associated with that, we're shortening the duration down to around about four and a half years using the, the available derivatives, that's futures, and indeed paying fixed in the swap market. Is this something that is... Um from your perspective, James, I know you've mentioned that it's unique, but analysing a, a, um, a, a fund such as this, it, it, does this require a lot of expertise from your side or, or would it mean that you would have kind of lots of calls with asset managers to, to understand more about, the, to drill down into that detail and, again, that education process? Amy, I'd say no, no particular expertise, but it would be part of our normal fund fund research process. Um, for example, I think Simon and I have done probably three or four calls over over the last few years, and 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 we we invest in the fund at uh, at Hawksmoor. Um, so, I'd, but I'd say no no specific expertise on on that angle, but uh, but really at, at the at the fund selection level, yeah, un- understanding a manager's approach to durations very important. Um, helps us position the fund internally with, within portfolios and within, for example, invest, investment managers' expectations. Um, so very important to understand the approach, whether that's a now now a short duration approach like Simon's, or um, as as he's mentioned, some of the peers um, with a with a slightly longer duration, more kind of sector average type approach. So yeah, it's an important element to to understand. And yes, as you say, Amy, that's coming through for us. Uh, through meetings, uh, well, in in what we might call normal times, more face to face meetings, and, and at the moment uh, calls. Let's let's now talk about some of the risks and the changing nature. So, what types of credit risks are you seeing now that perhaps you know ten fifteen years ago investors weren't concerning themselves with? In terms of risk and reward, we go through these cycles. You know, having been in the market all of that time, I've been through several of them, including the 87 crash when I was uh, first starting right the way through uh, to the uh, global financial crisis and indeed, of course, one of the major risks last year, uh, the pandemic when it really hit markets, etc. Um, but but this kind of um, 
this kind of experience, I suppose, is, is, quite, um, is quite important for actually looking forward. Because one of the things that you do learn is that actually risk is an element that you need to cast quite a wide net to capture properly. Um, indeed, I would say that the, the World Economic Forum uh, in January, just before the pandemic really hit, had a survey of what they thought um, that were the important things for society. Uh, and actually a pandemic didn't appear in the top 20 of their risks. It did the next year. Um, some of the things that did appear were mainly to do with the environment and also cybersecurity. So actually spreading the net quite widely uh, is really important. Um, and in, in doing so, you need to fall back on your experience. Um, there has been a little bit of a, uh, a rotational aspect, particularly in uh, the first quarter of this year, whereby we thought we were kind of over the pandemic. We were looking through the vaccine program to uh, the more cyclical, more recovery type bonds, just as you would have seen in, in equities as well with the, uh, with the growth versus value story. Uh, and now, more recently, that's coming back the other way again. So I think a lot of the risks that you can have from the past are still going to be present in the future but actually some of these more ESG type of risks are really starting to have an effect, tangible effect on the returns within the market. And James, are you finding, are you finding that you're viewing credit risk differently now through an ESG lens than perhaps you were you know, five years ago? Certainly relative to five years ago, yes, Amy, I'd say, I'd say yes would be the answer to that. Uh, more recently, not, not too much change, to be honest. No, um, I think we'll... Uh, we'll we'll continue to go down that avenue, but recently not not so much change. Although yeah, the the risks that Simon alludes to certainly certainly very important. Okay, now let's move on to the diversity of issuers. Simon, you mentioned at the start that um, you've got a broad range of issuers now that you can tap into. What advantages does this bring to the portfolio? Amy, it could be broader. One of the main things that I'm doing under the surface is trying to encourage a much broader, diverse issuance um, pattern. And one of the things that, of course, that I'm doing that you've already alluded to is talking to governments, which you maybe wouldn't expect a corporate bond fund manager to do. But I'm also trying to encourage other parts of the economy to issue these types of bonds. Um, we spent a long while trying to have conversations with the likes of Pearson, who educational publishing should be doing good for society. Uh, and indeed, they eventually issued a social bond, a bond whose specific use of proceeds was focused, particularly in that case, on remote um, learning opportunities and particularly capturing those people that fell through the conventional educational net so that we didn't lose them from education entirely, that they provided the kinds of systems that would um, perhaps provide a more appropriate for their circumstances educational um, um, outcome. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I've been trying to do. Now, of course, we have a certain amount of diversity, which I've alluded to um, already. So we are looking at any bond that does good for society, not just ICMA branded, that's the International Capital Markets Association, ICMA branded social bonds who have a specific use of proceeds. So we're talking about pure play investments. Welcome Trust would be a good example. Just a plain vanilla corporate bond, but we know what Welcome Trust are doing in terms of research into health and hopefully the benefits that that has for society through the provision of health, funding the Crick Institute partly, etc. those sorts of things. So we're looking at any bond that can do good for society, engaging with that particular entity, but then actually saying to them, 
perhaps you could be more targeted. Perhaps you could focus on the areas that are doing most good for society. Um, and particularly, we've been talking to banks, very important banks, because actually not every entity that could potentially be doing good for society is big enough to issue an institutional corporate bond. So actually what we want are aggregators, people that can borrow big and then lend small, like a bank, like a government agency, whereby we can invest in their bonds but then follow the money through to the on-lending to the small and medium-sized entities that would then be the engines of employment growth going forward, etc., and do good for society there. So whilst we're talking about the institutional corporate bond market, we can actually follow the money through to actually much smaller packets of lending, which is very important in terms of creating this innovation which we're looking for to solve these crises that we're facing. It sounds to me that you are kind of leading the the way the way here and and James by your investment in this fund you are continuing kind of that wave so in terms of how you update your clients on on how the fund fares and and the type of contribution or the or the impact that they are having i mean do you um how do you communicate that and how do you update the clients on 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 where their money is going to? It's actually a good, very good question again, Amy. It's actually a, a key development area for us. We, we really want to develop portfolio level impact reporting within our within our sustainable world services. <clears throat> but it's very, diff- it's very difficult because you've got different fund management groups at, at different levels of their reporting. And as, as ultimately as fund fund based investors, we need we need that input data, if you like. So if you've got you know if you've got one fund management group reporting you know, really good impact data, but another one reporting very very basic impact data, then you know you've got you, you you've got a you've got a difficult balancing act in terms of bringing it all together. But um, ultimately, this is something that we that we really want to do, um, and. Um, we we do we do we do do some we do a quarterly investors report for example and we do a fund focus each quarter into into one of the funds that that we invest in uh but in terms of providing some 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 better stats and some met, some metrics it's it's top of our uh development uh wish list uh, james will know we have an independent impact report on the fund each year that's published by our social partner is that the big issue? That's the big issue. I didn't mention our social partner, but instrumental to setting those eight areas of social outcome that we're specifically targeting, it's big issue that know about social. They're at the, the cutting edge as a social entrepreneur, etc., and out there on the, the streets with homeless people selling papers, etc. Uh, but they produce an independent impact report on an annual basis for investors. Equally within that impact report, we're also trying to adopt and push forward this concept of impact reporting. So we map each and every bond that we buy to the primary sustainable development goals. Now, the sustainable development goals are something that the UN created, not necessarily for this purpose, but they're becoming a common language for sustainability. So we map to the 169 targets that underlie those 17 SDGs, then by reporting with that much more granular, much more developed market um, specificity, um, we can be absolutely accurate in terms of delivering the proportion of the fund across those 17 SDGs. Uh, That's the common language, if you like, for sustainability. We're also at the same time, and again within that impact report, um, working towards the impact management projects, common language for impact. 
So they have classifications A, B, C. Act to avoid harm is A. B's benefit stakeholders and C is contribute to solutions. So again, we take each and every bond and we map to the ABCs of the impact management project. That way we hope that we will be able to deliver the kind of um, comparable um, statistics that James will find useful in comparing not just fixed income funds, but if you do it correctly, you can compare your fixed income fund, your equity fund, direct lending, even property funds across different asset classes using the same kind of criteria if you do it properly. So we're trying to push these kinds of concepts whereby we can create common language and we can create um, comparable type of statistics that you can then use to compare us with other funds or other asset classes. I imagine that holds huge potential. It sounds like we are at the start of a very exciting journey with purpose, profit and better societal outcomes. So thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.